Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Memorial Day. Hope you uh, had a great uh, Saturday of uh, Memorial Day weekend 2015. Um, by the way, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here, Todd Cullen. We have two Todds. You'll hear from the other one later. And uh, Todd Cooper, our student pastor, you'll hear from him later. But i um, so glad that you're here today and uh, that you've joined us in worship. And uh, there's two things I want to mention before we get started and before we dive into God's Word today, which I'm so excited about. Uh, this next installment of this message series that we've been in called Pedestal. But before we do that, there's uh, two things that I want to mention. Um, first is this. Uh, two weeks ago, um, I got up here and kind of conducted a little church family business. So if you're visiting, um, please excuse me because I want to complete the loop on this. And uh, this is a really amazing story. Uh, two weeks, I announced that we had uh, one of our drummers who uh, took an uh, unexpected and nasty spill and I had been with him, with his family, uh, throughout the night, um, a few Friday nights ago, two Friday nights ago, this past Friday night, um, at Hilton Head Hospital, and that he had uh, lost consciousness and that he had a bleed on his brain. And to be quite honest with you, um, I was very, very concerned about Eric. And um, God did some amazing things over the past two weeks. Uh, in the life of the um, Womack family, and um, I'm just so excited that I saw him just a few minutes ago, and he is here. And Eric, if you can stand, stand up, man. There's Eric Womack. <laughs> Sherry and Erica, um, uh, Sammy are here today, and Eric, man, we've been praying for you, and we're glad that you're here God has done an amazing thing. I texted you the other day. I said, you're a miracle, and that is true. And so we're just going to continue to pray for healing. And so we're uh, excited that he is back. And thank you so much, the, all of those of you who have prayed over the past few weeks for Eric. And so we're very excited about that to see what God has done. Uh, secondly, uh, it is, it's Memorial Day weekend, and um, I just want to say thanks to those of you who have served our country in the past um, maybe who are currently serving in some sort of capacity. Uh, my dad calls himself a MIDI. Um, he was a Navy guy, even though he didn't go to the Naval Academy. He likes kind of pretending he did. But anyway, um, and so I want to say thank you to those of you who um, served our, our uh, country in the armed forces and the military. And uh, thanks to those of you who had family members who served and even to those of you who have loved ones or family members who were killed in action. And I just want to say a heartfelt thanks on this Memorial Day for the sacrifice that you've made for our country's freedom. And what a great um, uh, thing it is, what a great ideal it is, an idea it is for us as a country to take a pause to commemorate and remember those who have passed on in military service and protecting our freedom. So before we dive in this morning, let me pray and let's give God thanks for the freedom that we all get to enjoy here in the United States of America. Father God, thank you so much for those who have died in harm's way. God, protecting um, our God-given rights and God, our rights as citizens of this great country. And God, on Memorial Day, I pray that we would be reminded of that sacrifice that these men and women in many wars and military conflicts in the past and even some that are 
right now overseas um, who have been wounded or killed in action. God, I pray and, and thank you for them and for their service, and I pray for their families. God, I pray that you would be peace to those who on Memorial Day um, have a difficult time because uh, they remember the loss of the one they loved. And God, I pray that you would bring peace in the midst of that storm. God, I pray for healing for those men and women even right now who have been harmed in service for this country. And God, I pray that you would bring healing to them, God. I pray that you would continue to grant us the freedom that you saw fit to establish here in the United States of America. I pray that that would continue. And God, that many men and women would rise up and take a strong stand for that freedom. God, I pray that we would be reminded of that this Memorial Day. But God, I pray that we would also be reminded of the ultimate freedom and the ultimate price that you paid for our ultimate freedom. The freedom from the bondage of sin, the freedom from death in hell, and the gift of eternal life that you gave us when you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And God, right now I pray for those who have gathered here today um, who may not have yet accepted you as their Savior. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that your Holy Spirit would call out to them. And God, that some of the words that were sung or spoken or uh, seen today, God, I pray that it would make an impact. And God, that they would reach out and accept that free gift of eternal life, that they would take advantage of the freedom that you offered through the death of your son, Jesus. And God, I pray for those who are here today who call themselves Christ followers. I pray that you would be with each one of us today as we dive into your word, as we take a look at this um, latest installment of Pedestal, God. And I pray that you and your Holy Spirit would do a work in our lives, that we wouldn't leave here the same people that we walked in as, God, that you would change us from the inside out. And God, that you would do a work in us, that we would ensure and make sure that you are on the front of our lives, that you are in that top place of our lives. Guide us right now. I pray that my words will not be mine, but may they be yours. And may your Holy Spirit do what you want to in this place. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're in this uh, kind of latest uh, episode or, or installment of this series that we're calling Pedestal, and we began several weeks ago. A lot of you have kind of journeyed with us. How many of you have been with us at least once or twice over these past five or six weeks? Raise your hand. All right, if you haven't, I want to encourage you uh, to go and listen to the podcast, or you can actually just listen uh, right there on our website or on your app, uh, but you can go to iTunes either way, and uh, just get caught up as we've kind of taken this journey uh, through what it means to have things in our life that we put in first place in our lives, and in doing so, we bump God off of first place, and we've taken a look at several of those different things. We've taken a look at money. We took a look at uh, pleasure. took a look at relationships. Last week, we took a look at status, and that status being really based on our achievement or um, maybe our status on, on um, what we've achieved in life academically or intellectually or maybe in our, our job vocationally. And we have taken a look at how all of those different things 
can be the thing that bumps God off of the pedestal of our lives. And we began several weeks ago um, by using this whole illustration that you and I, all of us, whether we're Christ followers or not, we have this place in our lives that we kind of render as the top spot in our lives. Um, we use our heads, the Bible says that we use our heads and our hearts and our hands to put something or someone or some idea as first place in our lives. And when we do that, we put it on a pedestal. And the word pedestal literally means to glorify and idolize. And you can uh, see that there on the screens. It means to, to glorify and idolize. And it's interesting because if you look at idols all the way back in the Old Testament, there was actually like a pedestal form of something that they used to offer sacrifice to those idols. And you and I do this in a bunch of different ways when we put something in this first place, either with our head or our heart or our hands. And in doing so, we bump God off of the first place in our lives. And so these five common things we're taking a look at, uh, money, pleasure, relationships, status. And today we come to this whole idea of self-image. We come to this whole idea of self-image and how you and I will often take our self-image and we will place it on the pedestal of our lives, become obsessed with it and consumed with it so much so that it knocks God right off of first place in our lives. And so today I want to begin with a question that I hope will get you thinking about this topic um, it's a question that we're going to begin with, and then we're going to kind of wrap up at the end of today and end with, and, and it's this. It's, uh, what is your idea of who you are? What is your idea of who you are? Um, by, by the way, today you received notes, and um, in the notes today you can see a ton of fill-in-the-blanks. In fact, there's a whole page and a half of fill-in-the-blanks. It's blank, all right? That's not usual for me, but um, I came down with a nasty, nasty flu cold this week, yeah, in the middle of the spring, and uh, so I missed my deadline and uh, really um, missed that, but um, this is a message that's near and dear to my heart, and I, I um, think that you'll see that as we walk through it. So I'm going to ask you today to take notes as God leads you. How does that sound? Does that sound like a great cop-out to a guy that didn't, couldn't get his notes in because he was sick? Okay, we're being honest because it's church this morning. So anyway, so what is your idea of who you are? It's interesting. Um, I, I did a lot of research in the weeks leading up to this particular message, and the whole phrase self-image the whole idea of self-image is, is really difficult to define in the English language. Um, and, and there's a lot of reason for that. But as I kind of gathered research, I kind of came up with um, this as kind of a good working definition. And you can write this down. You can jot this down. Um, self-image is the idea one has of their appearances, accomplishments, and abilities. It's the idea that you and I have. I want to emphasize that word idea. It's the idea that you and I have of our appearance, of our accomplishments, and of our abilities. It's what we believe we are, or who we believe we are, to be a little more grammatically correct. It's the idea of who we believe we are. That's essentially what self image is. And so I want to begin today 
by asking you the question, and perhaps you can just jot this down. Perhaps it's something you just write down here. Um, What is your idea of who you are? What is your idea of who you are? This whole um, concept of self-image is played out in a thousand different ways in our society, isn't it? This whole idea of like my idea of, of who I am is played out in a thousand different ways. It, it's played out at, at work sometimes in territorial kind of ways. Um, men and women who are in the workplace, you know what I'm talking about here. Someone has a strong self-image of who they are and they kind of take over or they have a weak self-image of who they are and they, they just fall over. They kind of cower. It's played out um, in the home, um, husbands and wives sometimes uh, when we get into conflict and um, we want to be right about things, right? And so it's played out there. It can be played out in church, believe it or not. Yep, that actually does happen. It plays out in school. Students, you see this all the time. It's played out in life so often. But I got to be honest with you, this whole idea of self-image is played out in our society in social media more than any other place, isn't it? Now, I'm not, a, I'm not not a social media guy. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and I, play, I pay somewhat attention to that. And some of you I've just completely disappointed, and that's okay. Um, but if I didn't, then I would disappoint a lot of you. So, you know, it just is what it is. Um, I believe that um, social media is a tool that can be used for good. But, wow, it is a tool that can be used for harm as well, isn't it? I don't know about you, but um, like this whole idea of, you know, you got Instagram and, and, and Twitter, and, and Twitter really seems to be something that uh, I don't know about your industry that you may be involved in, but pastors and church leaders really use Twitter, I think, in a healthy way to share ideas and information and that sort of thing, and Facebook can be used the same way. But, you know, generally, um, we play out our self-image on social media in our day and age in, in a ridiculously phony way, don't we? Um, in fact, I, I don't like to call it Facebook sometimes. I like to call it fake book sometimes. Because here's what can happen often is like you'll see someone post a status on Facebook and they're like, man, life is going so well. I'm so excited about what's going on in my life and new opportunities. And you're like, man, five minutes ago, I was just talking to you and the world was coming to an end. Like what in the world is going on here? And then sometimes the opposite, you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then sometimes the opposite's true. You're talking to someone and, and you know, they're sharing with you all the good things that God is doing, but you'd read their Facebook page and you're like, man, what? I mean, the world's coming to an end here. Like, you know, my dog died and everything's going bad and the world is just crumbling around me. And I, I, I think that that um, whole concept, that whole idea really is kind of a, a cultural um, indicator or study on how we place way too much importance in our image. We like to portray in social media or in society or in the workplace or in our school something that is better than who we are or perhaps for some weird reason something worse than who we are or what's going on. And it's a complete fabrication. It's a lie. It's fake book. I I was reading an article several weeks ago by a a blogger, a guy named Danny Rubin, and he just sums it up so well. Uh, I love this. Danny Rubin writes this. He says, 
um, in quote unquote, he says, I'm so honored to announce that, or I am excited to tell everyone, fill in the blank, or guess what happened to me, and, and what he's writing there is different statuses that people put on social media, and this is what he says, on a typical day, our Facebook news feeds are full of swagger and bravado. Someone always has something to brag about. We've all done it, although certain people, he says, and we know exactly who they are, boast way more than others. And you might assume that a big-time bragger is a classic narcissist with an ego out of control. And he writes, it turns out you're wrong. He says, according to research from Dr. James Pennebaker, a psychologist at the University of Texas, people who frequently use I and focus on themselves are actually less secure than those who limit their use of that word. Penny Baker's study claims that people say, who say I a lot subconsciously believe that they are subordinate to the person to whom they are talking. And so Mr. Rubin concludes and he says, that means when a Facebook friend tells you about his recent personal best 10-mile race, he's not being egotistical he may actually be insecure, and he may be trying to please. So today, our item, we've used several different items to describe what the pedestal is in our lives. With money, we used a, a giant calculator that I'm really glad that I have because now I can use it in my office. Um, it was a huge calculator, and we've uh, used uh, different things. Last week, we used a trophy for, for status, different pictures for a relationship, for pleasure, I was really safe and used an Apple. So anyway, um, and so today, I'm just going to use my iPhone to represent our self-image because so many of us, and I'm including me on this, will portray a self-image on social media or any environment that is different than what we think it is. And even worse than that, it's completely different than the way God sees us. It's completely different than the way God sees us. And so I'm going to use my phone today to represent how we use our self-image and our obsession with our image and our self-image to knock God off the pedestal of our lives. Um, this whole concept of self-image is, is a concept that over the last uh, maybe year and a half, um, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, I've struggled with. I'm 42 years old. I've been in the ministry for over 12 years. I've been a Christ follower since I was six years old. I grew up going to a Christian school. Um, I went to a Christian college, and I've been in three different Christian seminaries. And at 42 years old, I struggle with this. And I tell you that today because I would imagine that there are probably more of you that struggle with this idea of self-image than we actually want to admit. Let me tell you briefly about my struggle with this. I, I really understood as a teenager when my spiritual life started kind of uh, catching on fire when I was 13, 14, and 15. I got real serious about my faith walk, and um, I, I really began to learn um, who I was in Christ. We're going to talk about that in a moment. I began to really learn and kind of anchor myself into to God's Word and, and who I am. And as a Christ follower, I believed um, the verse that we shared last week from John that says that we who accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior um, are children of God. 
And there are so many rights that go along with being a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. And I, I like in my teenage years and into my 20s, um, I, I realized that that's who I was. I, it wasn't a perfect life. My goodness, I went through 10 years of running from God's call on my life. Um, but um, in my late 30s and early 40s, um, I began to forget. I began to forget the promises that God made about who I was and who I am in his eyes. And I began to believe the voices around me, the voices around me that said that I didn't measure up, that said that I didn't do this right, that said I didn't do that right. And here's what I did in my life. And call it midlife crisis, call it I'm just a guy and I'm obsessed with these kind of things, whatever. But I began to do several different things in terms of success and as a pastor and as a husband and as a father and as a church leader and as just a person, I began to do several things. Number one, I began to compare myself with other people. I began to compare myself with other people. I began to look around, and as I did, the second thing I did is I began to evaluate myself based on everything around me, not based on God's word. And then the third thing I did is I drew a conclusion about myself. And I think that's what we do when we get obsessed with our self-image is that we begin to compare ourselves with other people. We talked a little bit about that last week. Students, you guys do this all the time. Parents, we do it too. Uh, people, men and women, you who are in business, who are very successful in business, there's a temptation for you to do it as well. We compare ourselves Instead of with what God wants us to compare ourselves with, we begin to compare ourselves with everybody around us, whatever environment we may have a self-image problem in. And we begin to compare ourselves with other people. And then we begin to evaluate ourselves. We, we kind of come up with a list of things that we believe from others around us that we should be or what society says that we ought to be. We have these shoulds and oughts that kind of enter our minds and then we begin to evaluate ourselves. And when we don't measure up, we draw a conclusion about ourselves that we really don't measure up. And you see, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because a poor self-image actually is having self-image on the pedestal of our lives, isn't it? You see, it's both ways. It's being overly confident about who you are as a person based on who you are, what you look like, your appearance, your accomplishments, everything that you've done in life. That can be something that you can become obsessed with just as becoming obsessed with not measuring up to all the comparisons that you make around you can become something that is so consuming. All of a sudden, you're consumed with your self -image. You see, it's pride and ego and arrogance, but it's also self-loathing. And it's a lack of confidence and a lack of, of any kind of pride of who you are. Both things on both extremes at their root have the same issue, and that is as we just simply become obsessed with how we look, who we are, what we've accomplished, uh, what we've become as people. And the problem is, is that we begin to compare and we begin to uh, analyze and we begin to draw conclusions that are not based on what God wants us to be focused on.
Last week when we talked about this whole idea of status being on the pedestal, the whole concept there is that there was a pride of accomplishment. Today is a pride of appearance. What is the idea that I have of who I am and what do I want to portray to others? For me, this slow kind of like spiraled down to a point where I really had a bad self-image. I had a bad view of who I was and I became obsessed about it. It happened slowly over time, almost unnoticed. It, It happened over the course of weeks and months and even years. Not over the course of minutes or hours or even days. It happened because I began to listen to the voices around me and and I began not to listen to or to ignore the voice of God in me. And all of a sudden, I realized that all I was doing was comparing myself to people around me. And while I haven't got that all figured out yet, I'll tell you that God has done an amazing work in me. And specifically last fall, he did something that was remarkable in me. And I want to share with you what that is today with the prayer that some of you might catch this and might understand this and and, and really understand that this is really of no value. What others think of you and what even what you think of yourself, if it's compared to the world around you, is of no value. It's what God thinks of you. That matters. Let's take a look at a couple different passages today. First and foremost, I want you to take a look at the solution of this whole idea of us putting our, our self-image on the pedestal of our lives rather uh, than God and bumping him off and, and putting him um, kind of in his place off the pedestal of our lives. We've got to first realize um, who made us. We've got to begin with this whole idea of who made us. And the psalmist talks about this in one of my favorite passages. You'll see it on the screens today. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, he's writing out and he's pouring out praise to God and he's pouring his heart out to God. And he says this, For you, God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Take a look at verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully, that's a good thing, by the way, And wonderfully made, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it so well. You see, the psalmist at a point of time when he was going through some desperate times, he cried out to God and he came to the realization that I had to come to that some of you maybe haven't come to yet. And this applies to whether you're a Christ follower or not today. And that is is that you were created by the master creator. You were formed by the ultimate artist. You were fashioned and put together by God himself, the one that spun everything that we see around us and the beauty that we see around us. You were made by the master creator. And for some of you today, you need to take that passage right there and you need to put it on, uh, on the mirror 
Um, you need to put it on the refrigerator. You need to put it um, in your car, but look at it before you drive. Okay, I'm not saying look at it while you drive. Okay, uh, don't send the emails on that one. But, like, that's it right there. For some of you, maybe that's all you need to hear to get off of your focus being on yourself. Maybe that's all you needed to hear is that you were created uniquely by the most unique creator in the whole universe. And man, when we stop and think about that, when we meditate on that, what an honor it is to just live this life. Am I right? What a privilege it is for you and I to do whatever God has called us to do, whether it's to be a mom or a dad or to be in business or to be in uh, church work or to be uh, a teacher or um, you know, to be a professor or maybe to own your own company. And God has uniquely created you. He fashioned you. And what an honor it is to be fashioned by the God of creation. And so you and I were uniquely created by the creator. And I think that's just a foundational principle for us understanding um, that, that we can get our eyes off of ourselves when we realize that he created us. Secondly, we've got to realize that he doesn't look on the outside appearance. God does not look on who we are on the outside. Now, for some of you, you're like, man, that's kind of disappointing because I look pretty good. You know, I'm all right. I'm pretty good. God doesn't care. (laughs) He doesn't care. I love my dad. My dad was here a few weeks ago. Most of you know that we lost my mom this year to uh, cancer. It was a very quick and uh, horrible thing at 68, way too early, way too early. My dad was here on Mother's Day just a few weeks ago. It was an awesome time. I got to tell you the advice my dad gave me growing up, and this is so fun and so funny. Um, I played golf from three years old um, on till, well, I don't play much anymore. But anyway, I played golf from three years old all the way up. It's, it's the thing that I love to do. I love playing golf. Um, and dad taught me how to play golf, and he got some instructors there. But dad taught me one thing. He taught me a principle about golf. Are you ready for this? This is like for some of you. This will solve all your problems with golf. You ready for this? This is one principle he taught me. He said, son, if you can't play golf, you need to look like you can play golf. (laughs) And is he right? Absolutely he's right. Am I right, golfers? All right, guys, you guys who play golf, like, if you look like you know what you're doing, you can get out there and you can, like, you know, you you can pretty much fake it, right? But that principle, while true in golf, is not true in life, is it? (laughs) That is not true in life. You see, our whole society is consumed with this shell. Our whole society is consumed with this. God is not concerned at all about this. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that he's not concerned about this. When... His man, um, Samuel, was choosing the second king of Israel. He went to a man named Jesse. Jesse had a bunch of sons. And God told Samuel, I want you to choose one of his sons to be the next king. And he walked through them, and just like you and I do, just like society does, Samuel, this man of God, began with the most handsome, the tallest, the strongest. And he went through all the sons, and God said no to each and every one of them. And then God tells Samuel this. But the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, take a look at this. Do not look on his appearance 
or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? At the heart. You see, God is not consumed with what you look like. He is not consumed with your image or your idea of who you are. He's concerned with who you are on the inside. And in terms of us being consumed and obsessed and focused on who we are or the idea of who we think we are, and it's a relief to know that he created us and he's not consumed with the shell. He's really worried about who we are on the inside. He's concerned about the person that you are and that you're becoming. The man or woman or child or student of God that you're becoming. That's what he's more consumed with and concerned about than anything about you. But there's more than that. He created us. The great creator created us. He's not consumed with our shell. Although if we say that he created us and we have to say what he created us with is good enough for us to be used by him, right? But he's concerned about our heart. And thirdly, it's, it's this. And this is where we're going to land today. And this is where we'll end and, and kind of wrap up. He made us a new creation in Christ. He made us a new creation in Christ. And this was the aha moment that I had in the fall when I began to listen to all the voices around me, when I began to kind of be consumed with what people thought of me, when I began to be um, really kind of obsessed with my idea of who I am. This is the aha moment that I had someone help me understand. And I've always known about this whole idea that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become a new creation. Um, but, but it's a little bit more than that. T take a look at how Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This has become one of my favorite passages. He says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh... We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, say it with me, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then in verses 18 through 20, he talks about our job. All this is from God, who through Christ, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, that's a big word for sins, against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And so verses 18, 19, or, or, and 20, it's really Paul saying the fact that, like, God in Christ made you a new creation, and so therefore you should be about the business of giving that message. Like, like if there's, you know, unforgiveness, reconcile with that brother or sister because, my goodness, if God did it with you, then you should do it with your brother or sister. But it's verses 16, 17, and this last one, look at verse 21 that I want to focus on. He says this, 
For our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might, what's that next word? Become, no, it's been, the next word is become, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, in my walk with God, I've always understood this whole idea that God makes us new, and that's awesome, isn't it? But I never really understood the last part of this passage in verse 21 until this past fall, that the newness that God makes us, that new creature is, I want you to hear this, righteousness. It's righteousness. Just a few, like, word study here things. First of all, Paul contrasts and compares the old with the new, and he says, we once regarded the flesh, and that word there, flesh, in verse 16, literally means the physical or worldly aspect or point of view. That's what he's talking about. He's talking exactly about the same subject that we're talking about today. He's saying that we used to look on the outside, but that is no more. Now we look on who we are in Christ. And in fact, he talks about the new creation. That word new means something never seen before. See, those of you who are here today who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, at that moment that you believed in him, you became a creature or a creation that is unlike anything that's ever been seen before. You are unique and new. And not only were you created by him, and not only um, do you have all the rights of being sons and daughters of God, but as a Christian, being in Christ, that means that you and I joined with him. You become righteous. And that word righteous literally means to be conformed to what God requires. It means to be conformed to what God requires. Listen, this, this for some of you, this, you may be like, Todd, you have completely lost me. You're talking about self-image, and now you're just talking about Jesus. That's the whole point. You see, if you are a Christ follower here today, whether you accepted him, 20 years ago or 40 years ago or four days ago, you don't have to be consumed with the idea of who you think you are based on what the world tells you or based on what your closest friends tell you or based on the things that your spouse tells you or parents tell you or that your coworkers tell you. All of that doesn't matter spiritually and when we allow it to matter spiritually is when we become so consumed with it that we bump God right off the pedestal of our lives you see the aha moment that I had in terms of my own self-image this past fall and I'm still working through but but I, it was an aha moment that kind of kicked off some really cool amazing things was that because I am in Christ I'm righteous I'm righteous I have everything on the outside and I have everything on the inside, inside that God requires of me. So the voices I hear, the words that I hear, the comparisons I make, it all doesn't matter. 
what other people think of you, what you think of yourself, how smart you think you are, how stupid you might think you are, how beautiful you might think you are, or how not beautiful you might think you are, how strong you think you are, or how weak you think you are, how much of a sinner you think you are, or how horrible you think you are, or how good you think you are. Once you find your life in Christ, it doesn't matter anymore because he views you as righteous. That's who you are in Christ. That's the wonderful right that we have as people of God. That's the right that I would hope that if you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you'd say, man, I want some of that because I can take this down and stop bugging my friends about how great my life is on Facebook or how horrible my life is on Facebook, and it's all a bunch of fake book stuff, and I can put God as the centerpiece of my life. So today I want to go back to the original question. What is your idea of who you are? And then what is the idea or the view that God has of you? And the challenge that I have for you today, do they align? Do they align? Are they equal? Is what you believe of yourself and what God sees you as are those two things in alignment? If they're not, my challenge to you today is maybe you just need to come to the realization that your life is more about Jesus than you ever could have imagined. You see, taking our self-image off the pedestal um, isn't quite as hard as we think it is. It's not all this psychological stuff about what we believe about ourselves to be true. It's not trying to undo some of the stuff that we've had done to ourselves in the past. It's literally putting the past behind us as Christ does. But it's believing that we are righteous. That we are fine the way that we are. That God has accepted us the way that we are. And then we can lay down the pedestal of self-image. And we can walk in the freedom of new life and a new creation. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for this inspired by you message from Paul. God, that if we are in Christ, that we are stamped as righteous, that we are rendered as okay. God, that regardless of what our idea of ourselves is or the comparison that we make to those around us is or the overconfidence that we have in our abilities or our appearance or who we are as people or the lack of confidence that we may have because of those things. God, it all doesn't matter. What matters is that you created us that we are a new creation. And that new creation means because of the work that you did on the cross, we are righteous. And God, I pray for the Christ follower who's here today 
who may say, you know, I really struggle with self-image. I, I really have a bad image of who I am. I compare myself and the way I look and my abilities and my talents, I compare them with other people far too often. If you're in here today and you say, man, that is really a struggle for me. Like, I really struggle with self-image. And because of that, I've had self-image on the pedestal of my life. Why don't you just take a moment and just ask for God to help you understand that if you have believed in him, that you are fine. No more comparisons need to be made. Perhaps you're in here and you're a Christ follower and sometimes your obsession with self-image is just the opposite. Sometimes you get puffed up. Sometimes you become so prideful about what you look like, who you are as a person, what you've accomplished. And maybe today you just need to realize that self-image is on your pedestal and you've not got off. And this whole idea of him imparting righteousness goodness to you because of his son Jesus is nothing about you. Nothing at all. Has nothing to do with you. Yeah, your accomplishments are great. Yeah, you may look great. But it's all about him. Why don't you just take a moment this morning and ask him to help you understand what it means that you are right in his eyes. My goodness, if you're here today and you walked into this room, somehow, some way you ended up here and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, that you say, man, I want that. I want to be in Christ. I want to have that righteousness so that I stop comparing myself with the world. It's an endless game. And I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. If you're in here today and you're in that boat, um, let me just pray a prayer just in the quietness of this room while Gina plays. And I just want to invite you and challenge you to pray this prayer along with me. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for making me and creating me. Thank you for loving me. And today, I admit that I am a sinner. I'm full of faults and failures. But today I've realized that I need you, Jesus. And today I make the choice to accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Help me to not live my old way, but help me to live for you. If you prayed that prayer in the quietness of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to look up at me and raise your hand for a moment so I can pray for you. I won't embarrass you if you prayed that prayer this morning. Good morning. I prayed that prayer. God, I thank you so much. Thank you. Anyone else here this morning? Anyone else pray that prayer? God, I thank you for those who accepted you as their, as their Savior today. God, I thank you that they today, right now, are new creatures. They're new creations. God, they are new. And God, their idea of themselves doesn't have to be based on what the world says or what other people say or what even those who are closest to them say. God, they're righteous before you, not because of anything they've done, but because of who they are in you. And I pray that you would help anchor them to your word and to their faith walk. 
God, help us to go from here today realizing and accepting that our lives really are not about us, but it's all about you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.